Okay, so diving right in, um, about three weeks ago from tomorrow, uh, we launched a new company, a new product called Pelosa. Um, we launched it right before the big OSCON conference. Um, just in a nutshell, um, Pelosa is a new kind of database index. Um, it's a distributed bitmap index. And just to sort of jump from there to something a little more contextual, um, as we all know, the last five to 10 years have brought tremendous advances in databases. Um, we've seen a lot of new database types from the traditional databases being put in memory or being put through exotic hardware or new types of databases like graph databases. Um, but at the end of the day, we believe that the database is really two technologies stuck in one body. Um, you know, there's the, the part that stores the data and the part that retrieves the data, which is commonly called a, an index, a primary or secondary index. Um, and so what we're really opening the door to is the idea that we liberate the index from the storage and making it a first-class citizen in a data science-oriented technology stack, an analytics-oriented technology stack, which is pretty much all of them now. Um, and one of the important things about Pelosa is that it sits on top of rather than within your data store. Um, wherever you're putting your primary storage, that could be in Cassandra or in HDFS or Amazon's Redshift, we don't want to disturb that process. We simply layer on top and we make your data faster. I, I, I have actually in the past worked a lot more with um – some other database I actually used to work with a, a very small database company based here and a few other things and even though I had that job I was still a little bit of a beginner with the technology but so is this a sort of alternative to things like um, you know there are some Apache projects out there like other open source technologies that can solve these type of problems like one that comes to mind right away is a a technology called Druid. Um, I would say, but but it's a very complex technology that that is not easy to deploy and is really meant for other uses. Um, so you could try to solve the problem Lucene. with these Lucene. tools. In fact, the motivation to build this originally yep. came from using yeah, exactly Lucene and Solar. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah Lucene and Solar. Um, so those are primarily used. Yeah, those are primarily used for unstructured data. So I think it's important to note that we're really accelerating already structured data. So it's it's the structured database index that we're that we're we're pleading to pull out of the database that doesn't make sense to be stuck in your database. And obviously we want you to use our technology because we think it's faster than anything else on earth. Okay. So yeah, that does make sense. I mean, yeah, I think that's um I guess a lot of the databases that offer speed at the moment are generally unstructured. Um, so it's interesting that you've gone from the structured perspective. I'm just trying to um, – I'm just having a very quick flip through your documentation and not – I'm just trying to get a, a grasp of how you connect Pelosa to – another database how does that work exactly what's the setup yeah that's a really great question and i'll kick off and hand it over to my colleague troy to explain a little bit more about how it works but really there's two types of data that you're going to connect yourself to a large pile of historical data that's sitting in some data warehouse data lake database 
Um, so we have connectors into quite a few of those types of technologies. If not, it's fairly easy to write a connector into um, the, you know, the database or data store of your choice. Um, and then second, uh, there's a lot of continuous arrival of data now that's coming in in such massive volumes that it's also hard to process in real time. So Pelosa will tie into your data pipeline, things like Kafka, um, and as you're writing to your pipeline, you're also writing out to Pelosa to make sure that it's staying in sync and available to be sort of the primary place where you make your queries. So when you ask a question of a, of a technology stack that has Pelosa in it, you ask those queries of Pelosa first because it is a whole lot faster. And then if it needs to go retrieve data, then it'll go back to the data store again. And I think this is a good point actually to – so you have your own um, – Query language, the Pelosa query language, PQL. Uh, I mean, having a yes, very exactly. quick look at it. Actually, no, I, I can't think of anything it looks like. So, so <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, maybe describe, yeah, describe the query language a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to add to that thought because I think you were going, you know, into a good place. Um, you know, a lot of systems build things like a SQL front end, you know, an SQL front end. Um, we decided to stick to, to PQL for now because it is meant to go directly in your code, in your applications, and it makes it so much easier for a developer to access the underlying data quickly. So we don't ever really see an engineer or a developer querying Pelosa in any other language. However, on our midterm roadmap, we're considering a full ANSI SQL compliant interface into Pelosa so that things like your reporting tools, whether that's a Tableau or a Domo or you know any analyst tool could very easily access the data itself. Although right now our primary focus is the engineer not the analyst. So for now, we're, we're, we're really staying with PQL. Okay. And I think just, again, I mean, this could just be the, the uh, obviously the engineers you have in your team, but I noticed the client libraries are Go, Python, and Java. So there's no JavaScript. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a set of languages that are definitely around, used in a lot of particular use cases. Or is it purely just because that's who you've got available to write the libraries at the moment? Really, it's because that's what's available. You know, um, it, it's been fascinating in our first three weeks launch, though, seeing um, how the community is now coming, you know, into the mix. We, we decided to open source eight of our nine patents. Um, and, uh, and even over the weekend, you know, there were tweets and all kinds of people starting to build connectors and contribute and fix bugs. Uh, Troy, you have some thoughts as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got a, our roadmap is very long and wonderful. And we've got a, a developer working on a JavaScript client right now. It's just, uh, <laughs> um, you know, okay. so one of the reasons we chose to open source this thing, and I just pinged him on Slack to make sure I was getting it correct. Um, and he said, yes. So, uh, um, you know, one of the reasons to open source this thing is that we knew that it had a lot of potential and that, you know, the community could give back to it as well and help to do, to work on it. Yeah, the one we saw over the weekend is a developer is trying to integrate it with Swift. Um, oh, excellent. And he, yeah. yeah, and he said, he said, do you have a Swift connector or should I write one really quickly? And we wrote back and he said, go for it. So he's writing a Swift connector right now. It's pretty exciting. And I will say that... Sorry, can you mention who that is? Just because I got a feeling there's there's one particular. Uh, yeah, it's, it, if you just yeah look for our Twitter handle on 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 uh, Twitter. So just search for Slothware mentions, 
um, and you'll see it. The guy's name is the Twitter name is, is Benzi Hamid. Oh, okay. Now, there's, there's a particular company that seems to specialize in making, uh, well, uh, not yeah, partially a company that seems to specialize in making Swift libraries for databases. <laughs> Just wondered if it was them, um, but I can't remember. I think they're French. So, but the beautiful thing for us. You know, for us, Chris, was that for our, our development team that he reached out. Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. To us, it definitely is confirmation because we measure ourselves in the success that we had on Hacker News and beyond. Um, at the end of the day, though, it's the you know we love all the. Uh, it was amazing. First of all, our ride the day we open sourced it was just incredible. All our developers saw it's an amazing uptick, and, and um, since then, though, you know, we're looking beyond those. Uh, first day metrics and into how many you know developers picking it up and things. So to have that person reach out and was just an indicator of, of momentum for us. I think this is this is kind of a, an interesting lead into my next question. So, um, I mean, I guess prior to OSCON, I had not heard of you. That makes sense because you hadn't really announced yourself. Um, and then actually in the the weeks afterwards, I, I have seen the name pop up and uh, now and again. I initially just said I was interested in speaking to you because I'd worked a little bit in, um, uh, say, in the, s- some other database companies in the past. So it was just interesting to hear some more. But, I mean, I'm looking at your GitHub repo. Within three weeks, you have, you know, a, a reasonable amount of forks, watches, stars, etc. Um, and at least from the outset, you seem like a reasonably professional bunch so i'm kind of interested to know like where where have you come from and what was the origin story because it feels like you've sort of come out of nowhere to something but there must be some more behind the story there about why you decided to start and who you are (laughs) yeah i think there's a couple of of thoughts there um thank you for noting all of that um i say the success we had of the gate was really you know in my mind, twofold. I think it validated that there's a real problem um, and that, you know, our solution potentially solves that problem. You know, Mindshare in this open source world and this big data world is probably the number one competitor as we discussed earlier. So the fact that we could get that kind of attention out of the gate, and don't quote me on this, but, you know, not knowing what we're really doing yet, we're just figuring it all out, you know, is is very, very reassuring. In terms of community, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In terms of building the community, you know, we don't know them yet. We don't know how they're going to react. So we're very pleased about that reaction. And, you know, we naively started solving this problem for ourselves about three and a half, four years ago um, because we couldn't find other tools to solve the problem. And we tried everything. Um, and it was going to really affect our business. Um, that company is called Humble, and it's a data management platform for sports and entertainment companies. You know, we were trying to convince them that first-party data was the future of their business. And guess what? They sent it all to us. So we were having a real hard time processing all of that data, um, especially doing the real-time queries. So we started to build Pelosa, and almost immediately we recognized that if we solved the problem for us, we were likely going to solve it for everyone. Um, And so from the very beginning, we worked really hard to code it in such a way that it would be easily extractable from Humble. And fast forward, you know, three years, we've open sourced it, and we're excited to see where it goes. Okay. I mean, so, okay, that, that seems reasonable. So, I, I, I mean, Umble, obviously, I'm not in the States, so it's not a company I'm familiar with, but um, I get the idea now. I, I was sort of almost partially expecting, oh, yeah, we're all ex-Google or Facebook or something, you know. 
a bit more reasonable. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more reasonable. So, I mean, I mean, on that note, though. So there, there have been a lot of. Okay, there's not necessarily been projects doing exactly what you're trying to do, but there's a lot of. There are a lot of um, projects trying to make databases, data storage, data management, data analysis better, faster to suit um, modern needs. Some have made it through. Some have failed uh, over the past few years. Like um, I'm still, not, I think Cockroach, I think is continuing but then you had um i'm having a complete mind blank over everything rethink came and yeah, kind of went TV. rather unex rather unexpectedly um and even some other companies that i know here who have sort of made a splash and then kind of went a bit quiet so i mean is this if this is something you want to make into a well, firstly, is it something you want to make into a business and if so what's kind of what's the idea What's the plan? Yeah, so so I think that's a really good point. We did a tremendous amount of research up front before we made this decision. It doesn't come lightly, especially with nine patents, you know, under our belt. You know, convincing our stakeholders to do this was not the easiest of things. But we knew and felt that this was going to be so broadly applicable that picking any one application um, we thought would really be limiting the future potential of the technology. So while we'll help seed a few particular areas like bioinformatics, information security, smart cities, um, we can't wait to see where the community takes it. And then furthermore, when looking at the successful projects and the failures, um, we felt like we learned quite a bit from our predecessors. By no means do we have all the answers, but um, you know, it seems like there's a four-legged stool of components you must have to be successful. Um, I think it's incredibly important what license you choose. We decided to go under Apache 2. Um, we think it's incredibly important to nail a genuine community experience. You know, you have to be developer and community first or uh, you know, a disingenuous approach will kill you almost immediately. Um, I also think it's incredibly important what investors you have on board, and we're working on that as we speak to bring on the exact right investors um, to make this successful. And then from a monetization standpoint, I think some people um, wait too long um, to, to, to sort of tell the community what they're planning on doing. We're trying to be transparent up front into working on those monetization strategies. So in addition to our community edition, we have an enterprise edition, and we're building a, a cloud edition, which makes us incredibly excited. You know, we see ourselves in the next five years, you know, caching 30% of the world's databases, and, uh, and that's something that makes us very excited. So actually switching back to technology, another thing I'm just trying to sort of pick up now. Um, so when it comes to to scaling, and I, I think I saw somewhere in some documentation about uh, horizontal scaling maybe, um, I guess that would possibly be accurate. But how, how do you um, – how is uh, – how is someone going to scale the index alongside the database? Is it um, how and how easy is that to do? Um, I don't yeah, know if I'm Troy. asking the right question, but yeah, yeah. You're sure, you're doing great. So this is Troy, and um, we're both distributed and decentralized, and so um, 
the fact that there's no master and uh, this thing you can horizontally scale on uh, commodity hardware, the index proper. And uh, what, what's important is that if you know if you were to have a data lake or some sort of data warehouse that uh, used commodity hardware, one of the problems with that is that it gets really sl- either one of two things: either it gets really slow, or you have to sample the data as you pull it out of that. That with our index, it takes these giant databases and makes them much smaller. And I think it'd be worth us in a minute spending some time on the secret sauce there. But um, by making that uh, our index, first of all, smaller, but as it grows, it does horizontally scale. And, and the heavy lifting um, is the distributed nature of it. Okay. Okay. Um, and actually, sir, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but back to the query language again. Uh, how. I mean, there's obviously a few other um, databases like uh, – I know you're not a database, but <laughs> – okay, other other systems that you might query data from, shall we say, um, that have their own query languages like um, Cassandra and Mongo. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of a, a learning curve to begin with to get those to work for you, and depending how you like them, they could work for you in the long run. Uh how do you see the the, le- the learning curve for Polosa for learning the new um, uh, query language? I lost my train of thought there, but I think you get the no, question. No. <laughs> Chris, I think that's a really great question. I'm going to start just by saying that I think it's a little bit less the query language and more the paradigm of creating your initial transformation into Pelosa because once that's created, it's fairly easy to query. So it's really, you, you have to have this aha moment of understanding how do you take a traditional data set and create your index. And I'll let Troy talk a little bit about this bitmap index, which is really the key to Pelosa, the key to the speed, and the key thing that a developer needs to understand to really get it. Okay. Yeah, so is that a good tax take? Are you good with that? No, I think that's definitely good because I, whilst I'm familiar with the concept of index, I'm not familiar with what a bitmap index is. I can I know what a bitmap is and I know what an index is, but I'm not sure if they're the same connection. <laughs> yeah, no, you're doing great. And in fact, what's interesting is that you know a lot of people have heard of a bitmap and have heard of an index, but we had this aha moment internally that this solved our problem, and uh, it's so simple, but yet um, so wonderful. And that is. In a normal database, you would have, you know, I would be a person in your database, and it would say that um, the kind of car I drove might be a Jeep um, or might be a Land Rover. And uh, you would actually store that word Jeep or Land Rover. But in, in Pelosa, we don't store the word Jeep or Land Rover. Land Rover. We actually just have a, um, a table that has uh, me in it, and I would be a column, and the Land Rover would be a row, and there would be a zero or one saying if I owned a Land Rover or not. And in fact, Pelosa doesn't even know that need to know my name's Troy and that that other uh, row is a Land Rover. It just needs to know that there's a a relationship there between two entities and it's a one or a zero. And by boiling that down to ones and zeros, you have this infinitely potentially infinitely large and um, infinite. The engineers tell me never to say the word infinite. Two to the sixty fourth, which is pretty damn close. Um, but anyway, the um, you can have a really large uh, index of bits that indicate. Um, the relationships inside that original data store, and as a result, two things come out. Number one, it's highly compressible because um, you know ones that we're not a compression engine, but once we have all the information in ones and zeros, it's highly compressible. And B, it's also um, a lot smaller, and you can hammer it with uh, with data science and 
So that kind of tells you a little bit about the bitmap part of it. And then, and then just taking that a step further, you know, you put it into ones and zeros, you compress it, it makes it very portable, as Troy discussed. But then we load it all into memory, so never does it run from disk. It runs all in memory, but unlike most in-memory solutions, it's also persistent across a cluster, a masterless cluster. So it's a distributed, decentralized cluster so that you can basically scale this almost infinitely, again, to Troy's point, two to the 64th power. Um, but, but, and it retains its speed. In fact, the bigger it gets, you know, the closer it gets to linearity versus other, other databases start to just bog down and slow down. And I'll rewind just, just to one comment earlier to lead back to your question, and that was you know, comparing it to query languages and other and MongoDB. So once uh, we used Cassandra at the last company, uh, we really love it. It had some great attributes, and the index sat on top of it. Um, once you've made that aha moment of converting the data out of Cassandra into ones and zeros inside of Pelosa, you can now hammer the index with data science questions um, as well as other any sort of logical operations you want to do with it. And that, that's the aha moment where you use Pelosa rather than Cassandra. Yep. Okay. I get it. So, um, I mean, you've already kind of touched on the uh, the, the fact that you, you consider uh, some fairly wide use cases. But, I mean, maybe give me an idea of the sorts of levels of data um, and the 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 scale that, for example, um, uh, Umbra, 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 Umbel, Umbel. Sorry, yeah, Umbel, yeah, <laughs> Umbel work. was that, that was processing, and um, maybe some other people who have started experimenting with Pelosa and and kind of the problems they're trying to solve and how successful they've been. If you if you have any yet, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, on the Umbel side, at the end of the day, we were using uh, Pelosa to solve some really high cardinality segmentation. So we had in the multiple hundreds of millions of consumers in the system with you know tens to hundreds of millions of unique attributes across those same users. So being able to quickly do a segment on the fly without pre-indexing or without batching sort of a, a process to analyze the data ahead of time was very, very difficult. Um, and so that's really the original problem, but then being able to do sorts, uh, top inquiries, um, and some much more sort of fine-grained analysis on that data became almost impossible with things off the shelf. And so from there, as we decided that this could go to the rest of the world, you know, we talked about bioinformatics. We think this is going to be great for drug discovery. We talked about information security. You know, everybody wants to catch bad guys faster, and we think this is going to do it tremendously faster. And then on the smart city side, we were recently working on a transportation data set of New York cab rides. We got 1.3 billion records yep. that had about a classic data set, isn't it? <laughs> that one. It had about 100 columns, um, and we wanted to just see how we compared to all of those benchmarks using commodity hardware. So by the time it went through that abstraction process that Troy talks about, we turned it into ones and zeros. It went from 100 columns to 100,000 columns. But then it was in a very lightweight, super nimble bitmap format. Um, and as we started to ask queries of it, the only technology that it ever benchmarked against it that came close was a eight uh, – GPU cluster 
uh, you know, very exotic, very expensive hardware while we were using off-the-shelf commodity cloud hardware to do the exact same thing. So that got us incredibly excited. And it's not that we don't plan on using some of the exotic hardware for certain use cases, but we think the low-hanging fruit is to be able to use commodity hardware to solve some of these huge problems where, you know, the economics aren't there to throw GPUs and FPGAs at the problem. Exactly. I mean, I think this has been a trend in some of, especially the scalable databases I've seen, and especially the sort of advent of uh, um, contemporary containerization, shall we say, has meant that uh, the ability to run massively scalable systems on more commodity hardware, I mean, what we consider commodity hardware now, I suppose, um, has, has become... Increasingly uh, possible, I guess. Um, yes. I don't know if that exactly. says more about the hardware than the software, but <laughs> just, yeah, I'm not and sure. Some of this new hardware is unbelievable. So, you know, as we get into some really intense use cases with, you know, the US government or large financial institutions who want to catch bad guys and have the resources to do so, you know, of course we're excited to try that commodity hardware, but, I mean, that exotic hardware. But Right now, there's just so much opportunity in the off-the-shelf, you know, cloud hardware that, you know, we'll try that later. Okay. So just, I mean, just out of interest, like, um, I'm trying to think of what an average data set would be, but what sort of, um, like, storage size um, and minimum kind of hardware do you think uh, you would need to to run a Polosa cluster, uh, and what? Yeah, what's the kind of the storage it would take up on top of a of a, a data set? Whatever numbers you can think of would be useful, I suppose. Yeah, so we have um we've had a number of uh, initial lighthouse clients approach us, and um, one of our first questions to them is. What size is your data? And often it comes in two, two answers. Number one, the actual data set, we usually just uh, simplify it and say if it's over a terabyte, we can start to help you. But it's also a high cardinality issue. Um, like, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a large data set, which is great, but also just high cardinality, the number of rows. And so uh, those two, you know, when you get to hundreds of millions of rows, we start to, to really, really kick in. Um, so does that answer your question okay? And, and then yeah, there's I mean, also, yeah. well, also just yeah, order no, of magnitude. Like usually, we can reduce the data size by at least an order of magnitude, if not more, um, when we start oh, okay, to reduce so you, the size. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what you add with Pelosa, you actually remove from the storage. I guess. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, we don't. We don't take. Um, let me try to understand your question. We're not taking the data out of storage and put. We're, you know, we're yeah, capturing no, no, the relationships the, 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 that are already there. But yeah. Okay, okay, so you are adding two. Okay, okay, so you're adding an extra bit of um, storage to the storage. <laughs> that makes just in terms of we actual are, disk space. Benefits, you know, yeah. the benefits to speed yeah, no, of course, and of course, of not course. having to sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Um, just a sort of uh, a slightly um, tangential question, and kind of leading to a, a wrap up. Just because I'm kind of interested. Um, so you have uh, you've released, as far as I can tell, um, 
your at least your your core and SDKs and etc cetera, etc cetera libraries uh, on GitHub, and um, but you mentioned that you have patents as well, and I'm kind of interested to know how you manage to combine patents with open source. I mean, the US is much more into patents than Europe, so I'm not so familiar with uh, um, how you might be able to do that. Maybe it's a very obvious question, but I'm kind of interested to know how you can have patents on a software but also be open source. Um, well, that's a great question. Balance so the two. Apache 2.0 has just a patent clause that just says um, uh, you also were not going to go out and uh, sue people or just try to get uh, the rights on those patents if you um, are using our open source software. And there's a few exceptions to that clause. If they come back and try to sue us for it, then that revokes that clause. But um, basically, it's um, you know we don't focus on the patents too much. Um, in the open source community only because they, they might seem antithetical, but the beauty of it is, is that we've, um, by open sourcing, by, by default in the Apache 2.0, those, those patents and the and intellectual property within them are now part of that contract we've made with people that we're not going to go out and um, enforce them. So effectively, we've conveyed eight patents to the community edition, which we're really proud and excited about. There was a lot of internal discussion about which patents and where exactly we would sort of cut the line between community edition and the commercial editions. Um, and we ended up choosing a very liberal strategy in favor of building a really healthy community. Okay. Okay. That's cool. I mean, I've always um, been into open source and contributed to open source as much as I can. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something I've always supported um, and very big yeah, I think the, and, and we, yeah, the, the and past companies I've worked for have always been at least, yeah. Yeah, and we, and we do think, you know, we're excited about the impact and the contribution we're making, but we also really do believe that the future of enterprise IT depends on being open source. Um, so I think it is going to be the way of the future for these type of technologies, whether you like it or not. So I think, you know, finding a good strategy and, and doing it early is important. I think so too. Actually, this evening I had an interesting discussion with someone who works for a sort of, I guess, small to medium-sized startup, and he was just, he was telling me about his experiences with a very large, <laughs> well-known enterprise company. In fact, probably beyond enterprise company, um, and just how he, yeah, it's always this weird clash of cultures where you can't quite understand why. Why do you not want to? tell people things <laughs> um, at some point in the future I think this is going to be a, a sticking point for companies that just want to hold everything to their chests I think the world has changed and if we have companies like Microsoft able to do it then um, well, to a, to a, a greater degree <laughs> not, not entirely but oh, to a greater having degree just, then. Uh, uh, having just come off of OSCON we can you know validate your statement that there were plenty of um, larger corporations there and the conversations weren't awkward. In fact, that's how can we work together? And so um, I think the time, the time is now. It's just that, you know, the dinosaurs aren't going to – don't get it yet, but there are a lot of even very large corporations that get it. All right. So um, what – I mean, what's what's your what's your current kind of version roadmap? What's what's coming next? What's your immediate plans that you want to make sure people know about? Yeah, we're 
we're all about, uh, well, you know, first of all, we're all about building community right now. Um, uh, we know that that's the, the life of blood of any open source project. We're also not naive that we need to build out a business model that can support it on the other side. And so we're working on um, enhanced enterprise features on top of that. Um, so that's in a bucket. That's the two big things. And I would say on that one, the one that gets me really excited is this Cloud Edition version. You know, I talked about my big audacious vision earlier um, but I really do see a world where you're sitting on a really giant data lake, you know, assume it's HDFS or something like it. Um, you need speed and you don't have time or the or the team to deploy and manage all the infrastructure. You add a few lines of code, you log into a console, and now, you know, your index is available globally, you know, in real time to all of your applications, your researchers, your partners, your customers. And so that as a service fully managed version of Pelosa is the one that I think is going to be really, really impactful. Mm. Okay. Okay. I, I kind of, uh, I look forward to seeing, to seeing what you do. Uh, if, um, Thank you. Yeah. I guess I have a, a place in my, uh, my technical heart for kind of large scale databases, having sort of briefly worked in it a little bit and just seeing what people do with it. Um, I think maybe last year was the crazy year when lots and lots of new projects came out and, yeah, some fell by the wayside. So it's interesting to see where people, where they managed to go. And and actually, yeah, I suppose just on that note, just for anyone who's interested and uh, this is, it's, you've written this in Go, actually, that wasn't, it wasn't intended as a pun going from Go to Go, yeah, but we've definitely written yeah, it we, in we Go. Have written, yeah, it was deliberately written in Go and... Um, uh, Go has an interesting feature that has a plugin features and functionality that we've built into the product so that data scientists and those who work in that work, uh, field can plug in algorithmic um, applications um, with ease, which we think is going to be a big deal. And plus, when you get to you know really large code bases, um, Go is just so wonderful. We're, we're big advocates of that.